I'd like you to refer with me to perhaps three scriptures in the New Testament. First, in the second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's in my Bible, it's on page 1394. And I want to read first of all, verse 20. We are ambassadors, therefore, for Christ. God, as it were, beseeching us. We entreat for Christ, be reconciled to God. Him who knew not sin, he has made sin for us, that we might become God's righteousness in him. And then we'll go back and we'll go to verse 17 of the same chapter. So if anyone be in Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and all things are of the God who's reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given to us the ministry of that reconciliation. How that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not reckoning to them their offences and putting in us the word of that reconciliation. Maybe that will do for what I would desire to say. I didn't come with the impression to speak on reconciliation, but I really felt that as a result of our reading together, we could speak of it in the Gospel because it's God's desire that all men should be reconciled to him. Now, what do we mean by it all? Why do we need to be reconciled to God? It's not God reconciled to us. No, not at all. Man needs to be reconciled to God. You do. You and I need to be reconciled to God. Why is it? Because through sin, there's distance between my soul and God. And we go back, as we said in the reading, to Genesis 3, and we see how that distance came in. God created man in his image. Wonderful thing, God created man, the pinnacle, we may say, of his creation. And he gave him a wonderful garden to live in, Wonderful garden, the Garden of Eden. The most glorious garden that was ever planted because it was planted by God, not man. Man plants some great gardens and you can see them up side, and you can see them in England. Wonderful gardens, subject of man's imagination and art and ability. But the Garden of Eden must have been a most wonderful place because God designed and planted it. And he put that man there And he gave man liberty and freedom, bar one thing. There was one thing that man should not do. He could eat of every tree in the Garden of Eden, even the tree of life. But he wasn't to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave him one prohibition. He gave him a lovely place to live. He gave him a lovely wife and he gave him a job to till and guard the garden. God gave him everything for his blessing. And what happened? Man disobeyed. Sin 
came in. And by sin, death. We're told in Romans that sin came in by, death came in by sin. It is, and it's repeated in many parts of the scripture. Inasmuch as it is the portion of men to die and after death, judgment. So, man is responsible to God. You and I are responsible to God. And we have one life here below and we have many opportunities, an opportunity tonight to be reconciled to God. Now, how am I going to be reconciled to God? I realise I'm a sinner. I'm a descended from a sinful forefather, from Adam. As in the Adam, all die. And death has come in as the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, life. Now, how are all these things going to come about? How can I be reconciled by God? Can't do it on my own means. That is perfectly clear in Scripture and you should know it if you've tried in your own experience. You cannot make yourself better, improve yourself, turn over a new leaf, whatever it is, in the sight of God to be reconciled to him. We're enemies. Through sin, through disobedience, we become enemies to God. Now, how is that enemyship to be removed? How am I to be reconciled with a holy, just, righteous, sin-hating God? It cannot be by any effort or ability of my own. Because I cannot. And we're taught in the Bible that you cannot please God by your own efforts. It's clear throughout Scripture that man couldn't please God. First men, the son of Adam, two sons of Adam, Cain and Abel. One tried to please God by his own efforts. He brought of the fruit of the field, the ground that God had cursed and made an offering to God. He tried by his own efforts to be reconciled to God. And it didn't work. God did not look on him or his offering. But Abel offered of the firstlings, the young of his flock, to God. He offered a sacrifice to God. And God was able to look on uh, on a, thank you yes Abel and his sacrifice because of what it was it spoke of another dying in his place and there you have the principle of sacrifice on account of sin it goes right back to Abel God provided a sacrifice for sin and Abel took it up Cain did not Cain tried to bring to God what he produced, what the cursed ground had produced, and it was of no value in the sight of God. But that offering, that animal that Abel brought, was accepted by God, and Abel was accepted on that ground. And you can see it reinforced in Leviticus. You get the offerings there, that it shall be accepted for him, you read. So, God has a way of approach to himself. But now it's made clear to us that in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
we may be reconciled to God. In his flesh, we read this afternoon, through death. Death has to come in in order to provide the basis, the ground, for my acceptance before God and for me to be reconciled with God. If God can impute sin to me, I cannot be reconciled to him. I will ever, forever, be at a distance. But tonight we can tell you that because the Lord Jesus, his own son, has died, him who knew not sin, he has made sin for us, that we might become God's righteousness in him. Therefore, we have no righteousness before God of our own, but Christ has been made sin. The very one, his only begotten son, who came into this world to save sinners, he came here, sin apart, he has made sin for us. Isn't that just amazing? That the holy, sin-hating God, the God of the universe, God in whose hand we move and have our being, as Paul said to the Athenians, that God has made Jesus sin for us. He has borne the penalty of God against sin in those three hours of darkness on Calvary's cross. That is the most wonderful thing, my dear friends, that God has provided a sin offering for you and for me. So that in the light of that, as we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as we repent, putting our faith and trust in Jesus, we become reconciled to God. You know, I often wonder when the Christmas carol is sung, God and sinners reconciled. It's not strictly true. God has reconciled to you and to me because we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Not because we're sinners. We need a saviour. God has provided one. As we put our faith and trust in that saviour God has provided for us, we are reconciled to God because we become in Christ Jesus. We're either in Adam or in Christ. There's no two positions. There's no middle course. There's no middle way. We're either in Adam and therefore we suffer the consequences through death and we're away from God or we're in Christ and we're brought into new creation and we're reconciled with God. We have peace towards God. Isn't it wonderful that we know that there is God has nothing in his heart against us because we've trusted Christ. We've put our faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. What amazing moment that was when the Lord Jesus suffered and died on account of sin. We cannot, with our creature minds, comprehend it. I can't, and I don't expect you can either. But we know by faith it was for us that Jesus has died for us. What better news is this? This world is full of bad news. There's very little good news that you will read in the paper, see on television, or hear on the radio, whatever. There is very little good news. It's nearly all bad, either economic or moral or political. But God has wonderful news for you and for me. 
that we may be reconciled to him through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can know God as our Father. We can have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We can be here as looking for God and living for God. He would help us to do this. What a wonderful outlook is the Christian's. We have the most wonderful outlook. We're looking not to peace on earth, not for the world to get better. We know it won't. We're told in scripture the world is passing to its doom. We sometimes sing that. The world to doom is passing and you are passing too. There is no security down here. There's no permanent happiness down here. Thank God for what we do enjoy. But the whole scene is going to be burned up. The whole outcome of this world. Noah, in Noah's day, there was a flood and God destroyed all bar eight people alive on earth at that time in a flood of water. (coughs) God is not going to do that again. (coughs) He's given a rainbow in the sky as a sign that he won't destroy the earth again. Next time, he won't destroy it by water. Next time, it's going to be burnt. The work, the world and all the works in it shall be burnt up. So there's destruction coming. How urgent it is, my dear friends, to be reconciled to God now. Not to wait. Another week, another day, another hour. The Lord Jesus is coming, we believe, very soon for those who belong to him. Are you among those who are waiting and looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Thank God I am, and he's coming very soon. We're going to be taken out of this desperate scene. We're going to be brought into the presence of God, reconciled to him. No no distance, the distance removed. Think of the distance that came in in Genesis 3 when Adam disobeyed God. He went away and hid himself. He went away from the presence of God. And so it is today. Persons who are not reconciled to God hate him. You either love God or you hate him. There's no middle indifference. You cannot be indifferent to God. God is your creator. But yet, He has become through Christ your Saviour. We speak of a Saviour God. We do not speak of God as a judge. He's going to do that. We have to warn you, dear friends, that if you don't listen to what he has to say, if you do not take up his offer of reconciliation, if you do not put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you do not repent of your sins, there is but one outcome. That's death and judgment. And the judgment is eternal punishment from the sight of God. It's the lake of fire. Persons will be eternally sorry, eternally aware that they are away from God, that they had an opportunity and missed it. The very presence of the created world. The creation itself tells us in In Romans chapter 1, that there is a God, there is a God of power who created the uh, heavens and the earth, that 
Things have been created by God. Man cannot create life. They're trying, they've tried, but man is unable totally to bring life out of what is inanimate. We're made out of dust. God created us from this. God alone gives life, and God alone should take it away. So, my dear friends, God has created us. We're created by God. The world around us, the creation, the mountains, the seas, the lakes, the fields and so on, are all evidence of the power of God in creation. It doesn't tell us about his heart of love. It tells us that there is a God, that he's all-powerful, but we know through redemption, through the Lord Jesus Christ, that God's heart is that of love towards us. God is love. Well, we learn that. And I would like that every one of us in this room should be reconciled to God, should know God in this wonderful, intimate way. Not just merely great as he is as a creator God, but as a saviour God. Because he sent his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Think of that. The giving of God to save you and me as a sin offering that we might become God's righteousness in him. That's what has happened. God has done this. No greater speaking can there be today than what has already taken place, God speaking in sons. That's Hebrews 1. God has spoken formally through the prophets in many ways, but in these days he has spoken through the son, in son. He's spoken by sending his son here. Greatest speaking of God that ever could be that Jesus has been sent here to suffer and die for our sins that he might bring us to God. Well, the gospel is so great, so wonderful, but it's for you. It's personal, it's individual, and it's singular. It's not a question of what is collected. The gospel comes to you and me as individuals. And we're brought through that. By the Holy Spirit, we're baptised by one spirit into one body. In Christianity, things are collective. But in the Gospel, things are individual. You individually come to know the Lord as your Saviour. You individually come into blessing. You individually put your faith and trust in him. And then you find there's others who've done the same thing and you become merged with them. How wonderful that is. So, my dear friends, do not go away undecided. Be reconciled to God. The Apostle Paul could say, we entreat for Christ. Be reconciled to God. Think of the Apostle Paul, one who laid down his life in, on account of the Lord's service, saying this, be reconciled to God. He wouldn't tell us to do what we couldn't do. But he's made, the Lord Jesus has made the way possible for you and me to be reconciled to God. May we come to know the Lord Jesus